welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom uh, collaboration spotlight for DC Comics May 2nd, 2023. Can't believe we're in May already. I say that all the time every week. I can't believe. Uh, still at my stand-up desk. Still not losing any weight, but uh, good. I mean, I had some surgery, and I, I need to be standing anyway, so it works out. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it, serendipitous, I guess is the word. Uh, but Rocky was in the wilds of Calgary this last weekend at, uh, is it Calgary Fan Fest, Fan Fusion? No, it's, Fan it's, it's Calgary Expo. Uh, Calgary. Calgary Expo. Calgary Entertainment es- Expo, yes. And uh, yeah. and I, I just want to, I have a message from Jeremy Adams. Uh, I was I was extremely flattered. Uh, Jace, I, I thank you again for, uh, and, I, and I have a very selfish reason for thanking you. You, uh, you've let me occasionally co-interview alongside you sometimes, and you certain you let me do it with Jeremy Adams. And I was so flattered. Uh, I walked up, Jeremy Adams saw me in the line waiting for him, and he said, Rocky. He, I didn't even introduce myself. He recognized me. He stood up, shook my hand, and, uh, it was fantastic. Signed all my books, and he, uh, we ended up, uh, uh, I was there with Trevor Lankiewicz, who was a, a young uh, a Kickstarter writer, who friends of ours, who, friends of both of us, who he's doing promoting his Area 51, a Helix project, which you can go check out on Kickstarter issue. I'm, I'm going to give it a plug. Issue six comes out in a couple of weeks. So go check that out. Trevor and I took out uh, Jeremy Adams for uh, for supper and we went to a great Italian restaurant and uh, we just talked comics. It was fantastic uh, getting some, uh, no spoilers. Maybe he hinted at a few things that we, you know, the bro code, I'll, you know, we'll keep under wraps. I know uh, you went out with Jeremy uh, yourself uh, when he was at a con you were at. And so uh, it was just a wonderful time. And that was just one of many highlights of the expo. I won't I won't belabor it. We're here to review DC Comics. But suffice to say, I had a fantastic time. Shout out to Trevor. A shout out to Area 51 Helix Project. Had a wonderful time. Met Yannick Paquette. Uh, Brad Anderson. I got my uh, Jason Fabuk. I got a bunch of books signed. And cost a little bit. It's 7 to $10 a signal. Signature, but it was, uh, I think, money well spent from some uh, from really great, a lot of great talent. So it was a it was a good time at the expo this year. Yeah, one of these days I'll get up there. One thing I did want to ask, and people that are listening may be curious, because obviously people, most of the people listening to the show are more comic fans than pop culture fans. Is this a pop culture show or is it a comic show? Is it is it, it both? It, I mean, some, some it shows is, are and more- it's comics than others so yes it, it is and uh I, i'm told anecdotally from other people that are there from other creators that it's it's the best show in canada some like it better than uh the ones in uh than the two that are in toronto there's a toronto expo and there's a toronto something uh, i forget the name uh but it's i mean you get, get a minimum we get between 90 and one hundred and twenty thousand people over four days so it's quite yeah. large yeah and yeah yeah it's, it's big and and it's packed and uh it's it's very busy and it's, uh, yeah, it's, and, and it's extremely very well organized and it is, uh, it's very much something that a lot of people plan their, their entire weekend around. I mean, there's a Cowboys nightclub that are, that's connected right to it. Exhibitors. I tell you, man, having an exhibitor pass like I had because I was with Trevor and I was an exhibitor. That's like the golden goose, man. I could get in anything I wanted. I could even bypass the weapons check. I dressed up like Indiana Jones on on the Friday, and I did, they didn't even check my whip. And they're always checking my whip and my gun and my. But this time, I flashed that exhibitor pass. It's like, sorry, sir. I <laughs> I got right in. It was it was really nice. So I I did have my nose in the air a few times, you know, walking by security, you know, just daring them to search me as I, as I walk by with my fedora. <laughs> da, 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 da. But uh, no, yes. it, good time. Names. What about other pop cult? Like 
Who are the big headliners? Oh, uh, uh, Shazam was there. Uh, uh, Zachary Levy was there. Shazam. Uh, in fact, I got I got a full stand up uh, Shazam uh, stand up behind me. Those watching, I have a. I was my my retailer gave me a full stand up. Uh, whatever you call it, stand-up paper statue of Shazam, which I have hung up behind me here. But Jackie Levery was there. Uh, J- Jonathan Frakes from Star Trek, uh, the one of the chill, one of the kids from the Shazam movie, a whole slew of uh, uh, voice actors. Uh, Susan Heisenberg was there. Uh, uh, there's, uh, I'm sorry, I never went there for that, but there's right. a whole slew of CW stars there and, and, and a lot I didn't even recognize. But yeah, there's absolutely celebrity photo ops, celebrity... Uh, autographs that's there constantly straight from the Thursday all the way to the Sunday and so yeah it's absolutely uh, very much a, uh, it's not just comic books it's absolutely the, the whole nine yards everything to do with pop culture except I couldn't find anything can you believe all that pop culture and, and there was no Peppa Pig anything my daughter loves Peppa Pig and she had she had to settle for superhero DC superhero girls so I got her a nice shirt there but no Peppa Pig I don't know yeah <laughs> Uh, all right, so there you go, kids. Uh, all right. Entertainment Expo. You can tell your mom, hey, you can go meet Jonathan Frakes. You can go and meet Stephen Amell or whoever. <laughs> you know, uh, that way you can get her to, to take you. So anyway, let's dive into the books for this week. I thought it was a, it was an okay week, bit of a smaller week, which is always good. Uh, you know, we've talked ad nauseum in the past about how, just how many books there are. And for once, I think there are – it's less than half. It, the majority of the books are not Batman books. You know, we got Poison yeah. Ivy. There are, you know, Batman, Joker, Deadly Duo, the regular Batman book, and you can say Joker as well, but that's still less than half of uh, of the books. You know, that's right. Yeah, it's 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 nice. It's refreshing, quite frankly. I mean, we all love Batman, but you know, we we get we get enough of him. We don't like him hogging the spotlight all the time. Yeah, and some interesting things to say uh, about the Batman books this week. But we're going to kick it off with uh, Peacemaker tries hard. This is a Black Label book. It's written by Kyle Starks. Art is by Steve Pugh, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by Becca Carey. Um, I'll start with a, I don't know if I'd call it a mini rant, but an observation. A long time listener to the show will have heard me say this before. It always kind of bugs me when the source material follows other media because uh, the comics come, come first, right? And you're talking about Peacemaker. You're talking about a guy that debuted way, way, way back, you know, even before he was uh, DC quality comics. Um, I think it was fi- Fighting Force 5, I think is the, his first appearance, uh, which was, you know, a dollar book at best for decades until James Gunn put Peacemaker on the map, so to speak. But be that as it may, if you take a look at this book and the art by Steve Pugh, which is solid, uh, you notice toward the end of the book when Peacemaker takes his helmet off, he's John Cena. Now, never has Peacemaker in his previous appearances looked like John Cena ever before, you know, randomly. I mean, why would he, right? But now we know why he would. And I don't know why it bothers me, but it just does. Uh, I haven't seen Suicide Squad, uh, although it comes highly recommended from Rocky and my son, actually. Uh, But I just, I haven't taken the time to see it. So I haven't seen the Peacemaker TV show either. So I can't speak to how much the tone of this uh, is similar to that show, because we know the show was a big hit. So I can only judge this on its merits. And what I will say is, first of all, this is for mature readers. It's a black label. It 100% earns that sort of mature rating, right? This is not for the (laughs) part whatsoever. And I give Kyle Stark some some props for making it pretty funny. 
And I, you know, I heard the Peacemaker show was kind of funny. So again, this might be, you know, one of the things that we're talking about. He's he's trying to um, Kyle Stark's a writer is is sort of trying to not imitate, but he, he's he's you know buying into that a little bit. You know, uh, you know, at one point Peacemaker just goes in with you know kind of the the almost I'll say potty humor of it, uh, but also the mature part we've heard peacemaker say before I would do anything for peace. you know, even kill for it, which sounds so oxymoronic when he says it, but he's at the grocery store and he tells this woman that he, she asked him, would you eat a, a spoonful of poop for peace? He's like, I would do anything for peace. I need a bucket of poop. So <laughs> it's, it's that sort of humor, uh, which really appeals to the 13 year old kid in me. Um, and there's plenty of other crass jokes and, and what have you uh, as well. So if that's not your thing, you know, that type of humor, then this book is probably not for you. Cause there's, there's plenty of that, that type of humor in this book. And I, and so I enjoyed it. Um, and if that is in fact the uh, style of humor that the, the peacemaker show has, I probably would enjoy the, the peacemaker show as well. Part of the reason I haven't watched it is cause uh, I've been told that the vigilante character in it is nothing like the vigilante from the comics. Who's one of my all time favorite characters. So part of the reason I've stayed away from it, but uh, I won't spoil the rest of the jokes, but there's plenty of them in here. It's fun. It's interesting. It doesn't, you know, owe continuity to anything. You don't have to read anything before you pick this up. You don't have to have seen the suicide squad movie. You don't have to have seen the peacemaker TV show. You can pick this up and just enjoy it on its merits. Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, Steve Pugh. Uh, there are times where I th- sometimes think his artwork is a little stiff uh, where his line weights are pretty heavy. His line weights are more on the medium side here. Uh, and I thought the action scenes were done really well. I can't really ever remember Steve Pugh laying out his pages as dynamically as he does here. Uh, a lot of the panel layouts, um, you, you've either got the, the art breaking the panels, you know, breaking the borders of the panels, or you have just really interesting layouts where it's not just, you know, a grid, the standard comic book page. And I think that really helps to uh, give his art a sense of movement, which I haven't, I don't recall seeing in his art before. So I thought this was some of the best artwork that Steve's done. So I, I was a big fan of it. The color work is strong too. There's a, even a flashback scene where you get some kind of, not necessarily sepia tones, but a little muted. So you can tell that it's flashback, a little bit of different texture in, in the scene. So I was pleasantly surprised by this. I, you know, I didn't really have expectations, but if you had nailed me down, I probably would have thought that I wouldn't like it. Um, and so I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, it was pretty damn funny and pretty damn entertaining. So, yeah. um, knowing your sensibility, Rocky, I got to think that you probably are, are right there with me. What'd you think? <laughs> well, you're absolutely right that my initial instinct was I, I, I want the peacemaker from the comic, not, not this, not the show, but I have to tell you that I absolutely love the peacemaker show on HBO. I love it. It's hilarious. And quite frankly, there's the, there's my preference. And then there's kind of like the common sense side of me. It's like, well, of course they're going to get a writer to maybe uh, write about the Peacemaker TV show iteration of the character as opposed to the one in the comics. Because the one in the TV, sh- TV show is infinitely more popular. And 
And I got to say, this could literally be an episode of Peacemaker. This literally could be an episode because, I mean, it's, 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 first of all, it's John Cena's character. He's, uh, you know, he goes on a mission to take out some terrorists, very, fairly standard stuff. He, he stumbles upon a dog that has a birthmark that looks like a, a tuxedo tie and he calls the dog Bruce Wayne. So here we have John Cena, Peacemaker, you know, befriending a, a young dog. He loves the dog. He's, he's trying to have a party, but the Peacemaker, of course, has no friends. So nobody wants to go to his party. He's desperate. He's asking any, he's even asking cops to come to his party. I mean, he's desperate. And then lo and behold, naturally somebody kidnaps his dog and there's, and uh, Monsieur Mala and the brain kidnap his dog. So, I, uh, <laughs> and, and basically uh, they, they kind of kidnap the, the purpose of that was to lure Peacemaker out because it's revealed that they want Peacemaker to get some genetic material from Deathstroke the Terminator. <laughs> so uh, you never know. We're probably going to end up seeing the vigilante here too. It wouldn't surprise me if we see, see some other characters from the, uh, from the show, uh, show up or who knows. We know that we, we meet his parole officer here, uh, which is interesting, which is kind of a goofy character. We get it. We, but this very much feels like this could so it was so easy reading this. When I got over my 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 initial bias of being a comic lover and, and just being predisposed to prefer the comic book iteration of the characters, when I got over that. It was easy for me to get over that because I felt like I was in the TV world of The Peacemaker. And because it's such a successful show and it's earned it because it is genuinely funny, I found it very easy to get into the feel of this comic. The art is fantastic. You hinted at it. And uh, although you never said the, these exact words, I'm going to say it. This is Steve Pugh's best art that I've ever seen. In my view, I love this style. You hit the nail on the head when you talk about there's something about the panels he's doing. He's doing something different here. I, I don't possess your language in which to adequately describe what's different about it. But visually, I just enjoy reading this more. Art's fantastic. And he nails the uh, John Cena look and the character. He, he, he nails the feel of that world as, as in the HBO, uh, in, in that HBO world. And I, I just, it's, uh, I, I recommend this. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm actually really curious to see where this goes. I'm generally not a big fan of making jokes out of characters, but yet this one's earned it because it's really in the world of, this is not the DC Universe Peacemaker. It's clearly, an, uh, you can call it an Elseworlds tale or whatever you want to call it. So I'm more than happy to embrace this. And uh, the characters are great and it has humor. And I invite people uh, to uh, you know enjoy this for what it is because I'm not sure how many, how many issues is this? Is this just, is this three issues? It's book one. Uh, is it only three issues? I'm not even sure. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll look that up while you finish up your thoughts there. But, uh, no, the, and, and the variant covers are, are really nice too. Uh, shout out to uh, Kyle Starks. I think he did a good job in the writing here. Colors by Jordi Belair. Letters by Becca Carey. Uh, this is... This is Peacemaker in all his in all his glory. I, I didn't like Peacemaker when he was in the Suicide Squad. I, I hated the character, but James Gunn uh, made me actually really love Peacemaker. The that HBO iteration of him sort of redeemed him in my eyes. As crazy as he is, uh, I was a little disappointed because I know he has that eagle. His uh, eagly, what does he call? He calls him eagly in this series. I, I, you know, there's there's no eagle. The, the dogs replaced the eagle in this series. I'm wondering what happened to the eagle. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the eagle didn't die in the at the end of the first season of Peacemaker. But in any event, uh, I like it as Peacemaker centric. It's not Suicide Squad centric. It's Peacemaker centric, and it, this is a high recommend for me. Yeah, I didn't even mind that Amanda Waller showed up. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. The highest recommendation I could give it. Uh, it does look uh, like it is three issues though. So 
Uh, and it is a, you know, it is a big chunk of story. So uh, definitely enjoyed it. Yeah. But you got to wonder, you know, Amanda Waller does show up. She sends Peacemaker on this mission and then his parole officer shows up, mm-hmm. starts making threats about, hey, you know, you went across state lines. That's not good. You're going to end up back in Bell Rev. And he's <laughs> like, oh, Amanda, Amanda told me. And like, dude, did you, did you not learn not to trust Amanda Waller? She could 100% be sending you to take out this, you know, terrorist cell just so she could get you in trouble and, you know, pull you back in. Um, So, so even, yeah, so it it is different continuity, but you know, there are some things that are still the same. So Uh, anyway, let's move on. Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number three. This is from writer, Tom Taylor, Clayton Henry, the artist, Jordy Villar on colors, Wes Abbott on letters. We did have the God, what's the best way to put it? Um, Surprise, I guess, ending of this, last uh last issue issue two where we saw the injustice version of superman break the neck of the uh of of ultraman you know and we we had been told that well ultraman is is the big bad of the series so to speak you know he's the one that uh that john kent has trauma with and you know we're going to get a chance to explore that and so to see his neck snapped right off the bat was, I guess we could say it was jarring to say the least. Uh, certainly was for me. Um, but you kind of understood it. And so in this particular issue, we're, we're sort of getting the fallout of that. We're seeing the injustice world. Now I haven't read injustice. So first of all, I never read all the injustice. I think there ended up being like two or three seasons of it. And it was from what I understand, you know, pretty extensive and a lot of, exploration of the world and, and, you know, much like Taylor does leaning into the emotionality of the characters and also dealing with um, kind of the, the growth of these characters and, and the growth of the, really the world that he built there with this injustice Superman. So, you know, you could understand how he would kind of want to go back to the wells, but I can't really say whether or not this is a situation where, okay, this picks up right where the Injustice series left off. I, I, I honestly have no idea if that's the case or not. Um, but what I do know is this is a world where things are recognizable. Certainly the heroes are recognizable, um, but there are subtle differences. There are differences where you think, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. And in the end, what John Kent learns and how quickly he learns it in a lot of ways I really sold it for me in terms of, okay, this is great that John is able to recognize the fact that when he lowers his barriers, when he opens his senses up to the world around him and here's the quiet, the world is not quiet because this version of Superman has made the world safe. The world is quiet because everybody in this world lives in fear of what this version of Superman is capable of. There's a tragedy there. There's an emotionality. There's a real sense of perversion in a way. Maybe that's too strong of a word, but, you know, just this idea of something that's corrupted, right? Which is the whole basis. If you know the injustice story, you know, basically if you don't know it, I'll tell you how it all starts. kind of the impetus of it. The Joker releases a toxin, Lois is exposed to it. She's killed. 
and she's carrying their unborn child, the unborn child of low. Basically she's carrying John Kent and Superman loses it. He loses it. And, and everybody, uh, the rest of the heroes know that he loses it. And so they go out and capture the Joker to sort of prevent um, Superman from doing anything that he shouldn't, but he's Superman. They can't stop him. So he flies into the police station where, you know, the interrogation room, he grabs the Joker, flies him up to space, rips out his heart and that's it. And that's before Superman decides, Hey, I'm not going to be passive anymore. I'm going to do more. Right. And he has a conversation with John Kent in this comic where there's references back to things that were established in uh, the, the Superman son of Kal-El series early on by Tom Taylor, where John Kent says to his dad, why don't you do more? You know, and it's that, it's that constant push pull when you think about Superman as the big blue boy scout back in the day, you know, going up against slum lords and whatever, it was sort of a sign of the times. Well, the world is a much smaller place now. It's more of a global economy, a global society. So if Superman were to exist in our reality, you got to think he would do more. He would get involved more. Like, you know, if he's really that powerful, why doesn't he stop all wars? Why doesn't he get rid of nuclear weapons? Why doesn't he solve world hunger? You know, that sort of thing. And, it's that idea that, you know, you got to lead by example. If you're dictating people's behavior, then you become, you know, fascist in a way. And, you know, it, it gets into all sorts of philosophy. And that's sort of the idea that Tom Taylor's putting forth here and what John Kent realizes. And I, I think that in that way, it's very much going to be what it, this series is going to be, what it was advertised as, a real learning experience and growing experience for John Kent, right? Because he's going to have to kind of face that thing that I think that at least, you know, speaking for myself that I, I faced at, at one point, maybe when I was not so much older than John Kent, because when you're 16, you kind of think, you know, everything, right. And your parents can tell you things and older people can tell you things and you just kind of, eh, yeah, right. What do they know? And then later on through life experiences, you realize, Ah, damn it. They did know what they were talking about. And th that may be, the, you know, the kind of the, the point of the series, so to speak, where John does learn that, hey, I guess my dad did know what he was talking about when he was saying, yeah, we can't do it for them. We can lead by example, but we can't do it for them. So, again, I think there's something powerful there. And, and this has pretty, been a pretty interesting series so far. We're only three issues in. Clayton Henry Art. Standard Clayton Henry art, good superhero art, good colors, good action. Um, although this is a bit more of a talking head issue. There's not any sort of big fight or anything like that. But uh, definitely seeds are sown. Um, and it seems like John may be joining whatever rebellion still exists on this uh, Injustice Earth. The, the, the forces that are still arrayed against this version of Superman. So uh, anyway, what are your thoughts, Rocky? What did you think of the book? Uh, I'll be blunt. It was something that I thought was, unfortunately for me, it was as predictable and as boring and as derivative as I feared it would be. There is nothing in this particular comic that I found interesting at all. I, I remain disappointed that this was the direction of the comic. You're absolutely right when you say that the advertisements uh, certainly uh, hinted at in, in the in these issues about this being an injustice story, which is exactly the story that I didn't want to see and I don't want. And um, 
I, I shouldn't be arrogant enough to suggest that most readers didn't want it because maybe maybe a lot of readers did. Maybe you did. Uh, but I, I wanted – let's put it this way, that when, when Ultra, Ultraman supposedly traumatized John Kitten off Volcano and then he confronts Ultraman and Ultraman's about to kill him. But before Ultraman can kill John Kent, just imagine what John Kent's memory is. He's traumatized by Ultraman. He's about to be killed by Ultraman when he finally confronts Ultraman on in the Injustice Earth. But then he gets to witness the Injustice Superman snap Ultraman's neck. Now, I'm thinking that if John Kent was traumatized in that volcano, witnessing an image of his father do that... Uh, or somebody who looks like his father snap Ultraman's neck would, would compound the trauma. But of course, that's not what the purpose of this is. This is about, this is just about, uh, I don't know, changing the the direction of an Injustice story. Injustice is a great storyline. I love it. It's it's Injustice was the best superhero comic of the of the ten years of twenty to twenty ten. It was the best. It was the best comic of the decade in many people's eyes. Why taint it? Why taint it by having John Kent go to this world and in any way, shape, or form become part of the continuity of injustice? I think that's a massive mistake. And to, to, in service of what? There's a thousand different ways that you could have the lessons that John Kent needs to learn about what? Confronting a father who's, who's a darker version of his father? Well, I guess instead of having that confrontation, can, can that help him heal, I suppose? And so, so now we have an injustice Superman standing in the place of Ultraman. And why? Okay, let me, Ultraman's let me, more interesting. But anyway. okay, let me stop. Yeah, let me stop you right there because I was going to bring that up when you were done talking. It's like, okay, so we thought we were getting John dealing with Ultraman, who obviously there's a more personal connection there. But in a way, isn't the Injustice Superman? Isn't he Ultraman? Well, he's the de facto. You know, he's he, that's clearly that's what uh, Tom Taylor is doing, uh, and. and Clearly, that's what he's doing, and, and at least I hope that's what he's doing to, as as a way to sort of stand in, so that whatever healing John Kent needs to do from the from putting into perspective what happened in, into that volcano, maybe he's going to come to the same realization through his adventures with the Injustice Superman. But for me, I would have much rather have seen the crime syndicate than the Injustice characters. But people can disagree with me on that because Injustice characters are far far more popular. Than the crime syndicate, I get it, but I just like that's just my bias, though. But but no, you make a fair point. And uh, I, yeah, I one hundred percent agree with you. I love Ultraman as a character, and I think he's interesting. Uh, and I much rather would read an Ultraman story than a story about a corrupted Superman. Um, you know, and it's not because I think Superman, you know, we shouldn't question him or, or you know anything like that. I, I just I think Ultraman inherently is more interesting uh, because, you know, this goes along with the same thing we, that Rocky and I talk about all the time with Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy and, you know, where you take a villain and turn him into a hero. It's just been done to death, right? You take a villain and turn him into a hero. You take a hero, turn him into a villain. Like sometimes it's okay to just let them be who they are, right? And Ultraman is already an interesting villain and had that connection with John. But on the other hand, you know, if I want to play devil's advocate here, I could also say, well, you could look at this in, in a different way and say, well, you know, does this give uh, Tom Taylor, you know, more sort of story to mine where he, he gets a chance to really explore who this version of Superman is, who this Injustice Superman is, and then can maybe take John on a journey where he realizes that 
who Ultraman is at times may not be so different than than who a version of Superman can be. You know what I'm saying? So, I, I mean, again, I, I'm I'm purely speculating here. I don't know if that's actually the case or not, um, but it is what it is, and I'm I'm curious. I, I don't know where it's going to go, which. I guess in a way that's good, right? Because you and I both thought we knew, and now we don't. But yeah, I do. I do a loss of of Ultraman yeah. in a comic. 100%. But I, I will say that this can go in a, a billion different directions now, and it just doesn't matter. No, nothing's like I just it just really doesn't matter. Ultraman's dead. What's the point of killing all those super all those supermen in the multiverse that were killed? Yeah. Why was Ultraman killing him? What was the point of all that? That was all just nonsense, and it was once again and and I. And, and I, I, I sound like a broken record every time I talk about Tom Taylor. He, he seems to have when he nails a plot, he can nail a plot. But this is another example. And he's done this in more than one comic where, you know, he's squandered an interesting plot at the expense of some interesting character development. These are good character moments here. So kudos to him. He, he but he always gives priority always to the character moment. And he, I mean, he sure. I, I think he really you know, poop the bed on the uh, plot development here. And I'm, in fact, I would have loved to have seen Ultraman not killed, but still alive. And, and imagine Ultraman still alive in this Injustice universe and trapped in the Injustice universe. And we got Injustice Superman and Ultraman. And then we got John Kent mantling a battle between them. You know, evil, really bad Superman, really evil Superman versus evil Superman. And he's sort of caught in the middle. That would have been even more interesting. And John Kent ha- is forced to navigate those forces while at the same time overcoming some trauma. That would have been an interesting plot. This, like, I... I just have a hard time uh, getting behind this, but but we'll see. I'm, I mean, this is only the second issue in, but we've Tom, Tom Taylor's or third, but Tom Taylor's played his hand so many times on this, and we we I know what eighteen issues of John Kent feels like, and that was boring. But uh, admittedly, that was by by design because he didn't want John Kent to hit anything, and when he did, it was by accident, according to Tom Taylor. <laughs> it wasn't intended, but in any event, uh, the jury's still out. But I'm I can't I'm not going to lie, I was disappointed in this i was very disappointed in this and i'm i'm really not looking forward to what's coming out next so i'm i'm open to be surprised and i will happily take my foot uh, you know happily correct myself if this improves but i'm not happy with this the, the direction of this series at this point yeah and here's here's the other part of it right like we talk about how we're just looking forward to ultraman and yeah that build up and we haven't seen valzad in a couple issues or the the you know android version of red tornado lois lane interesting like yeah. I, I, it was building up to be something so cool. Uh, Ultraman dead, but aren't there other Ultraman in the multiverse? Or did he go around and kill all the Ultraman first? So, yeah, he could show. I mean, it's comics, right? We know Ultraman is not truly dead. You know, it's just a matter of somebody bringing him back at some point. So, uh, all right. Up next, we have, uh, well, we're going to talk about this real briefly. Dawn of DC, We Are Legends, Special Edition 1. There is a Spirit World story. In here, it's written by Alyssa Wong. Hanning is the artist. Sebastian Chang is the colorist. Janice Chiang does the lettering. And it stars, I, I, I think it's Xanthi is the way that you say her last yeah. name. I'm yeah. 100% sure. I, I apologize. There's a lot of uh, Asian mythology in here. Uh, but yeah, Xanthi Zhao, I think is how you say your name. Now, this... This whole series, including this first story that I'm talking about here, this whole uh, issue, I should say, it's all 
it's all things that we've seen before, right? We've seen this stuff uh, either in a, well, during the Lazarus Planet event in the in the various Lazarus Planet one shots. Yeah, so a couple of well, one of them I think was in uh, the recent Asian anthology that came out earlier this year. The other two, yes, they were in um, Lazarus Planet uh, anthologies. So the second story, written by Ram V, Lalit Kumar Sharma is the artist, Rain Barreto colors, Dave Sharp letters, starring this group called The Vigil. Um, I really enjoyed it when I read it the first time. I'm very curious to learn more about this vigil group. Um, it has to do with Lazarus uh, resin and, um, and and a shipment that was stolen and looks like they're doing scientific experiments. Very interesting. And then the last one, pretty sure it's written by Greg Pak. Let me get there. City Boy, uh, again, an, uh, a, a short story that we saw before. Yeah, Greg Pak is the writer. Mika Jung is the artist, Sunny Gao on colors, Wes Abbott on letters. So this is all sort of a, a preview, if you will, of this uh, these series that are coming up later. There's a, I think there's three or four six-issue minis starring some of these Asian characters. Jessica Chan's the editor on all these stories. She's the editor on this new line of books. And really um, sort of leaning into these great, not only established Asian characters in the DCU, but also some characters, some new characters, you know, Vigil's new, uh, I think Xanthi's new, City Boy, this is a, kind of a new version. He's sort of a Jack Hawksmore, uh, if you will, an Asian version of Jack Hawksmore. So these are interesting. And I, I read, was reading the first one. I was like, this seems really familiar. Then we got to the second one. I'm like, oh, a Vigil story. Great. And then I was reading it. I'm like, yeah, I have read this before. And sure enough, uh, like I said, they were in uh, previous uh, issues of uh, of DC books. So that being said, I did enjoy it, and I am looking forward to these characters. Um, probably yeah. have a little bit more interest in the Vigil than the other two. Just seems to be a little more interesting to me, but. Yeah. We'll see how it all, all plays out. What'd you think, Rocky? Uh, well, uh, my comments and I, 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 I have a different opinion than you. Uh, Vigil, I'm the least interested in. Uh, I actually really, I'm really looking forward to City Boy. I, I actually love the concept. It's, he is a Jack Hawksmore like character. He can communicate with cities and he can find certain trinkets and he can, if he finds something in the city, he can like find the original owner. So he's got, City Boy's got kind of an interesting power and, and it, he's the perfect type of character to, I can imagine all kinds of interesting character moments and how he can interact with, with the city and its inhabitants. And so I think City Boy has a, just a great amount of potential. I've also already read Spirit World number one. Uh, and uh, no, I won't give any spoilers. Suffice to say that I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, th this spirit world origin, we we meet the character Xanthe as you as uh, it's X A N T H E Xanthe, and if I if I mispronounce that, it's my fault. Uh, but in any event, uh, Batgirl ended up getting lost in the spirit world, and that first issue of is Xanthe. Uh, we're introduced to new characters as this Xanthi tries to find Cassandra Kane. So it's kind of interesting. I, I didn't mind it. Uh, Vigil was introduced even in the pages of Detective Comics, but unfortunately, because Ram V's Detective Comics story with the Orgums is kind of convoluted for the Vigil to just show up randomly there, I don't think he did himself any favors whatsoever regarding the Vigil uh, uh, leading into the Vigil series. And I was underwhelmed with their uh, Lazarus uh, debut, but I, w I will give Ram V a shot. Uh, I will, I'm, I'm going to be checking out all three of these series. Obviously, you and I will be reviewing them. So I, you know, 
we'll see. But City Boy and Spirit World are my favorite. And uh, hopefully my fingers are crossed that Vigil will, will be better than my first impressions. Yeah, I love City Boy. City Boy, you know, communicates with the city, like I said, much like Jack, Jack Hawksmore. He, he sort of has this little, like, aluminum can that is sort of anthropomorphic that is put together with other detritus from that you would just see laying around in the city, um, which I just thought was really cool. And, you know, Nightwing shows up and he's like, did you build this? He's like, no, this is Gotham City. This is the embodiment <laughs> of Gotham City. Uh, you know, this little anthropomorphic. It, it looks like a, you know, a tin can that's sort of turned into a dog. It reminded me of, I, I don't know if you've ever seen that Eddie Murphy movie, Golden Child, Rocky, where oh, yeah. the, the yeah. little, has, <laughs> yeah. and he, He's being held prisoner by kind of that mute oafish guy, and he crushes a Pepsi can and turns into a little man, and it dances around. So anyway, that's what it reminded me of. Flat back to the eighties there. Uh, all right, up next, uh, I'll let you go first on this one. It's the conclusion of Batman and the Joker: The Deadly Duo. Story and art by Mark Silvestri. You and I both sung its praises for issue six. I'm curious how you feel about this final issue. Arif Prianto is on colors. Troy Petrie on letters. Um, and yeah, this is. Uh, I don't, this felt longer to me than previous issues. It's like 42 pages. Um, it, it felt like a big chunk of story. So what'd you think? It, you know, it, it was good. It, it was actually good. And it felt, uh, the ending felt like I, like uh, the ending felt familiar, almost as if I've, I've read similar type endings in Batman stories sometime in the past, but for the life of me, I can't play similar stories. But when I, when you think of the fact that Mark Silvestri wrote this in the nineties, he probably this these ideas were probably original at the time, but even though I didn't, I, I found the ending almost. I kind of predicted it. I still enjoyed it because it, it just sort of fit the narrative so well. Uh, I, I love the iterations of the Joker and of Harley Quinn. Uh, Batman. This issue starts off with Batman and Joker fighting because the Joker wants the key that Batman has. It's revealed that the Joker had befriended sort of the undead corpse who was this uh, Edwin Sims. Uh, daughter and that he just basically the joker was she she revealed to the joker bruce wayne's uh secret identity of uh well batman's secret identity bruce wayne and the joker of course you know there's some misdirection because batman batman implements uh implements a protocol that in the event which i thought was really cool by Sylvester that Batman has a protocol in the event that ba this uh, that any of his villains ever finds out that Bruce Wayne that Batman is Bruce Wayne, that he's got a protocol in place to protect all the other elites of Gotham because of course he's Batman he's prepared for that. I am sure that there's probably been other protocols or similar storylines <laughs> that are based that Batman has a of course Batman's prepared for anything uh, and in this but I I like Sylvester's take on it here Sylvester's own interpretation is Batman finds out here that the Joker. Knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne. He finds out from Edwin Sims' daughter, who's this like corpse-like character, who's just amazingly drawn, fantastic visuals, and uh, you know, Batman implements a protocol to sort of protect all the elites of Gotham from what he thinks is going to be Joker's attack. But in actual fact, it, with Sylvester's understanding or iteration of the Joker, the the, the Joker is more angry at at uh, another villain, you know taking away his toy like he's he's jealous like if anybody should know more about batman it's me and he doesn't want the the, the society at large to know batman's identity that's that's the joker's product that's the joker's uh the joker should know that and and um it's a, a very interesting psychological play with it uh i thought it was i thought it was very well done i thought the art was fantastic 
and I I quite enjoyed it. I again, I it's amazing how Harley Quinn's not even she's not even in a lot of scenes. But I just I just so miss this crazy psychotic version of Harley so much uh, because I'm just so tired of the iteration we're getting in the standard mainstream DC universe and uh, I, I I enjoyed it. it it ended somewhat underwhelmingly because it ends with this uh, with a, this she she's a very Edwin Sims daughter I'm, what's her name again I forget her name I'm drawing a blank on her name Amanda. I think it's Amanda. Amanda Sims, right? Uh, I'm not sure if she has a villain name, but she she looks gorgeous. I mean, she actually looks apt. She looks, you know, for an undead woman. Of course, it's drawn by Sylvester. He can even when he draws an undead woman, she looks gorgeous, big glowing red eyes, and she's uh, she's someone who will. She's a wild card now. She's a very interesting. She's probably one of the most interesting additions to Batman's Rogues Gallery than any other character. In fact, some may argue that she's more interesting than any character that Tinian introduced. Certainly, including Punchline. This character is interesting, and she's not necessarily directly. She's not necessarily always going to be a villain. She's got an agenda of her own, always with the idea of protecting Gotham. Of course, her idea of protecting Gotham involves that that you know that Batman and uh, Batman and the Joker are they really are kind of a deadly duo to her. They're both the two sides of the same coin. In other words, Batman is just as dangerous to Gotham as the Joker is because they're fighting each other. And Bruce, at one point in this comic, Batman or Bruce Wayne even acknowledged that he asked Alfred, how many millions of dollars did the Wayne foundation spend cleaning up after the Joker and Batman's mishaps and, and battles? And it was like $434 million or some outrageous number. And so you can kind of see where maybe Amanda Sims was coming from there that, and that this deadly duo, this Joker and Batman dichotomy in this, their battles, there's a price that Gotham pays for it. And of course, Amanda Sims was one of the ones that paid the price. So it's, you can understand, well, she's going to be holding the Batman accountable. So this, this issue ends this, or this issue, this story ends with sort of Amanda Sims herself looking over, standing on a gargoyle, looking over Gotham City, much like you normally associate with Batman, as if she's also now another protector of Gotham, but with a very different set of sensibilities from Batman, and she's got her own view of the Joker. And meanwhile, this interplay between Joker and Batman, Joker now knows Bruce Wayne, but the Joker's not, he's aware of who Bruce Wayne is, but he's not He's not revealing that to the world because the Joker likes having that particular secret to himself. So I thought it was well done. Uh, again, the story elements and the plot points are something we have seen before since the 90s. But I think it, how it's orchestrated by Sylvester and the overall narrative, I think, works very well. And, of course, the art is absolutely fantastic. So uh, what do you think? Yeah, the one thing that I'll say, um, <clears throat> the Joker, yes, Amanda Sims is offering him the identity of, of Batman, of who Bruce Wayne is. He does not get that. He does not gain that knowledge. I want that to be clear. He thinks that it's more important. He thinks that if he knows who Batman is, it will change their relationship. He will ultimately win if he knows who Batman is in his civilian identity. And the Joker does not want Batman to end. The Joker, for him, Batman and he are yin and yang, right? Like one can't exist without the other. So if he were to gain the knowledge of Batman's secret identity, he would win. There would be no more Batman. There would be no reason for the Joker to exist. So he, the Joker talks about going along with this plan that Amanda Sims, uh, this big plot, you know, this elaborate plot that she had going on. And when he gets the key, he hands it off to some henchmen. The henchmen go and break into the vault, not the Joker himself. 
And then they destroy the papers that show who Bruce Wayne uh, or who Batman is. And then he murders them. He, he ties them up to a big giant bomb for, you know, right. lack of a better thing, right out of uh, Looney Tunes cartoon and, and blows them up without ever finding out what the identity is. And then toward the end, he, you know, he talks about that. He explains that. And then at the end, I started thinking, well, wait, maybe that's, maybe he changed his mind and he was just giving lip service, right? Because that's what he tells Batman. The Joker tells Batman that I could have found out what your secret identity was. I chose not to for all those reasons I just talked about. And then we see somebody else narrating saying, you know, uh, Bruce Wayne is a part of the city. Batman is part of the city. So then you start, I started thinking, well, wait, did Joker change his mind? And did he decide to find out, you know, to read that? And he was just pulling the wool over Batman's eyes. And then we find out it's Amanda Sims. He survived the flooding of her underground facility. Batman, you know, had blown up as kind of a fail safe had, had blown up the, the, the tunnels uh, for that church that was underground and what have you. And so then we find out, no, it's Amanda Sims. And basically it's Sylvester doing what, you know, a lot of comic creators do leaving things open so that we could possibly have more of these characters in the future. So I, you know, I didn't mind that necessarily. Um, but I have to say for me, the, the, the pinnacle of this series was actually last issue. That last issue was, done really, really well. And it's not that this issue wasn't, and it wasn't a satisfying conclusion, but I just, I thought last issue was, was just better, to be honest. It just had a little more oomph to it. And uh, I just enjoyed it a little bit more. So, you know, again, not to say that this issue was bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it just, like I said, it just didn't quite have, um, I guess, I don't know if the word gravitas is the right word, but it just it did, just didn't have as much impact to me uh, as the as the last issue did. So, but all in all, fantastic, and there's no denying that Silvestri's art is is great. You know, he's at the absolute top of his game here, and uh, if he does get a chance to do more, I would certainly I'm on board, right? I'm on board. Like at that point where it's possible that. Uh, that the Joker does know Batman's identity, I, you start thinking, oh, so there's more, there's more Amanda Sims. Like, where, where's part two? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, as long as it took Mark, and nothing against Mark because he's a fabulous artist, um, but as long as it took him to put this out, you know, God only knows how long to put out a sequel to it. Um, but if so, I'm, I'm, I'm on board for it. I'm, all, I'm, I'm all in. So uh, it was just fantastic. Colors, uh, you know, there's plenty of. Images, you know, I haven't bought this in print form. I only have the press previews to go on, but plenty, plenty of images of, of uncolored. Um, I imagine Mark works digitally these days. So we're talking digital pencils where you can see all his cross hatching. I mean, that's what he's known for that real visceral um, style with all that texture. I mean, it's just, it's just gorgeous. So it is. Uh, uh, do you have something else you wanted to add Rocky? Uh, no, no. I uh, like uh, there, there was a scene where that initially confused me because it says where she whispers, where Amanda whispers into Batman's ear, calls him Mister Wayne, and I confused yeah. that with the Joker. So you're, you're right, the Joker does the Joker doesn't know, but uh, such an yeah. choice for the Joker to make to not yeah not want to identify. Yeah. yeah, and it's too bad this wasn't told in the '90s because since then the Joker 
does you know yeah. does know his identity so it's it's unfortunate but it's still the story still works if you especially when you consider it, it was originally written in the 90s and and it is well written and well done so yeah we'll talk about that um which i yeah why do i not have the joker who laughs open in front of me um cuz that yeah that came out this week as well and that's something i definitely wanted to, to bring up but um yeah when it, comes to the joker there's a few a few other a few something in batman batman this this issue of batman has lots of this week's issue of batman has lots of joker and then um shazam obviously so uh batman's actually next so let's go ahead and talk about it the batman of gotham conclusion chip zadarsky's the writer we have mike hawthorne jorge jimenez and miguel yanin on pencils adriano di benedetto jorge jimenez and miguel yanin on inks to me more ramulo fardo jr on colors clayton cal on letters a lot of artists um, this is a big book, 56 pages. I think it's uh, legacy number 900, I want to say, of Batman. So there's a lot of variant covers. This was underwhelming for me in terms of the, the end of this story, um, how it ties in with Failsafe, how it ties in with a bunch of Batman of Zur and R at the end. I frankly don't understand. Maybe it's on me. Um this ended up being shocking, a Joker story. You know, we knew that this this <laughs> character, um, that Red Mask, and I, and maybe we should have known, right? Based on the the name Red Mask, we know Red Hood or what have you. Um, so maybe we should have known that the, 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 this guy was a Joker. We speculated at one point that well, maybe. He seems to have multiversal powers. He's red. He seems to have super speed. Maybe it's some evil version of Barry Allen or what have you. No, come to find out, it's just another another version of the Joker. Um, and as we lean into it more and more, he he's trying to find out like the initial, like where was the seed planted? Where, where did the Joker begin, if you will? And so, you know, Scott Snyder's sort of explored this idea in his um, in his run, and how the Joker was sort of this elemental force and what have you under Gotham City, and yeah, it was all kind of convoluted to be honest. D- don't know how well it worked, but it, <clears throat> this is leaning into that in a lot of ways because he's trying to go back and and see where the Joker began, so that he can be inspired, so he can become his true self. He can become the Joker, and then he comes come to find out. It's his jumping through the multiverse, apparently, that is causing all these jokers to exist. Like he's the one that's manifesting all these jokers. So does this go back to the three jokers that Jeff Johns did? I don't like I don't know. All of a sudden it's become so convoluted, right? And and the fact that this guy's name is Darwin, uh, you know, when he, that the connotation that has with evolution and, and that sort of thing. Like, you know, it's okay. It was okay for the Joker to just be the Joker back in the day where he's a Batman villain. He certainly wasn't the Batman villain. He was one of, you know, Batman's rogues and he showed up once in a while and it was fine and whatever. And then I, I don't know why maybe it's the pop- popularity of the Batman 89 movie where he sort of got elevated to where now he's the other side of the coin, he's chaos, Batman is logic, like all this all this stuff, right? And 
much like Batman himself and the power creep that we've talked about with Batman, it's sort of the same thing with Joker, right? It's like, well, that story when Joker's been told, that story with Joker's been told. So all of a sudden, it becomes more convoluted and more convoluted and more convoluted. Now, I might make the argument that the Joker's multiversal history story, whatever, is as complicated or maybe even more complicated than Hawkman. Robert Medidi did a great job of cleaning up Hawkman's continuity. Somebody's going to have to come and clean up the Joker's continuity at some point because it, it's become so overwrought and so pretentious. And at the end of the day, all I can think is, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care about Darwin Halliday. I don't care about him creating all these Jokers. I guess it's a, a, a reason, an excuse. I mean, there's a reference in this issue itself where he's like, I wanted to be the fourth Joker, you know, referencing that three Jokers story. We see three Jokers in that panel, uh, but he could never become the Joker. So he's creating other Jokers. And it is sort of cool to see the different art styles and, and you know, the quote unquote real Batman jumping from uh, multiverse to multiverse. I mean, we see uh, a Mike Mignola version of Batman. We see the Adam West version of Batman. We see Batman Beyond. We see the bat, uh, the uh, Michael Keaton version of Batman. There's all these different versions of Batman with their own Jokers. And it just ended up feeling really long and really overwrought. And yeah, you talk about uh, uh, Adventures of Superman, John Kent, not being what we expect it to be. I, I totally got the wool pulled over my eyes on this one, right? Like when Failsafe sent Batman out there as a way to supposedly teach him whatever he needed to learn when Failsafe believed that Batman killed the Penguin. I'm, and, and that's all sort of forgotten in all this jokery mess. Um, so I, I ended up being really disappointed in this. I'll give, again, a lot of props to the art because they're drawn in d- different styles. I mean, the Dark Knight Returns version uh, art looks like the Dark Knight Returns. You know, looks like Frank Miller art. So... Yeah, kudos to the art team. They did a fantastic job. But at the end of the day, you know, finding out this was all about Darwin Halliday, who's some multiversal version of the Joker that creates other Jokers. Like, I can't really think of a story that I want to exist less than that, right? And I think anybody who knows me and knows how I f- feel about the Joker is going to feel the same way. And then, it, yeah, we get the final page with a bunch of different versions of Batman of Zur and R, like a Michael Keaton version of Batman of Zurin R, uh, an Adam West version, you know, a, a, a Dark Knight Returns version. And we get the end, dot, 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 question mark. Why? Why? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And it, what really doesn't make sense about it to me is what did this teach? Like, why did Failsafe do this? Right? Like, you got to think he's like super intelligent. Batman built him. He he did this for a reason. It was all to teach Batman a lesson. What? What lesson did he learn? That the Joker is some cosmic force? That's that's not something I'm interested in. It's overwrought. It's it's just a mess. To, to be honest, it, it just comes across as a mess to me. And you know, not not to disparage Zdarsky's work, but I've said this before. His work on Daredevil was so grounded and so gritty and so emotional. And I was looking forward to him bringing that sensibility to Batman. And instead, he's gone completely the other way. With Batman jumping from the Earth to the Moon, and now this Joker multiversal nonsense—I just, 
I, I was really disappointed. <laughs> in this. As much as I love the art, and yeah, it is cool to see all these different versions of Batman of Zuran R, but narratively, what it says for DC continuity, the mess that the Joker is, oh my God. What talk about and I don't even like the Joker, but I feel like in a lot of ways they've completely ruined the character. Like, how can you you can't couldn't even explain Joker continuity to anybody anymore? We we don't even know. Are there three Jokers? Are there not three Jokers? Are they, like nobody knows. It's just a it's just a big steaming pile right now. The Joker and his history and continuity is just an absolute mess. Just a pile of vomit. So anyway. What did you well, think, Rocky? Maybe you enjoyed it more than I did. Uh, well, first of all, I've I've got mixed feelings about this because I have to admit, I, I want to give Sardaski, I'll start with some high compliments. I think that he's he scripted a really great story in a crazy way, and he incorporated, this is fun, fun, fun. There's psychedelic elements that I used to seeing uh, with, with Grant Morrison. Uh, there's, uh, there's 70s Batman, uh, Neil Adams, there's... Uh, Batman, Batman 89, there's Dark Knight Returns, Batman Beyond, DC Animated, uh, Batman Vampire, uh, Kingdom Come Batman, uh, Adam West. Uh, there's there's multiple different versions uh, and there were some just real cool moments. I love the fact my, my personal favorite moment is when Adam West gives uh, gives uh, Batman uh, his utility belt and says a Batman always needs a utility belt. And there's a, there's an absolutely insane psychedelic spot uh, at the end where where Batman is being swallowed by an sort of like a giant shark in the psychotic mind of Jason Halliday. And he goes, well, I wonder if there's anything in this utility belt. And of course, the joke is Batman 66, Adam West, you tell me about, I always had shark repellent from that classic Adam West Batman t- TV episode. And uh, he uses that and uh, to fight the shark. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's zany. Uh, and, and in a funny, in a crazy kind of way, I actually, th- I personally thought this worked. This worked. Now, now while I thought it worked and I had a lot of fun uh, as a story, I think this is complete, this I never saw this coming, but I enjoyed reading this. I just, it just put a smile on my face and I enjoyed reading it. Now, paradoxically, I'm going to criticize it, okay? Because at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. Now all these Jokers are back? A pivotal moment in the Batman 89 movie was the death of the Joker when he, when, uh, when he fell to his death as Michael Keaton's Batman looked at him as he fell to his death. A pivotal moment in, in Kingdom Come was the death of the Joker killed by Magog, which sent Superman in, into exile for 10 years, leading to the, the, uh, the nar- narcissistic heroes harshing, bringing in a harsh generation, hearkening in and being a harbinger of, of a, of a darker, Kingdom Come Superman, uh, the, the death of the Joker in Dark Knight Returns as he snaps his own neck. It, it, these are pivotal moments. Some of the best Batman stories involved the death of the Joker in these key moments and even the, in Batman Beyond as well. And if uh, when you think about that, all of a sudden, the Joker now is, is Jason Halliday has resurrected the Joker in all these timelines. And Dar- part of Darwin. Pardon me, J- Darwin, Darwin Halliday. Dar- yeah, sorry, D- Darren Halliday. And now with the, that the Joker is resurrected in all these timelines, I don't know. Is that a good thing? Is that a good thing now that we're gonna we're gonna revisit Kingdom Come because the Joker's resurrected? I, I got to be honest. If if Alex Ross and Mark Wade want to redo, uh, d- tell a Kingdom Come sequel story with the with the Joker coming back, as much as I don't think it needs a sequel at all, why 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 mess with perfection? 
I probably would enjoy it. Same goes with Batman 89. If the Joker returns, I'd probably read that comic. So at, at the one time, I'm a little, uh, on the one hand, I'm a little bit miffed that, G, that Chip Sardaski is arrogantly presuming he can just bring back a villain in these epic storylines as, as in this sort of storyline that he's almost, the whole thing's played as almost kind of a joke. And yet at the other, on the other hand, I did enjoy this story and the idea of the Joker returning in some of these timelines uh, in time and space, I don't know, it's maybe not a bad idea. I, I don't know. So I got mixed feelings about it, but overall I, I did kind of enjoy it. And we'd be remiss if we didn't say that at the end here, it, the Zerna versions of all these characters, I think is a little bit crazy because I don't think, the, I thought Batman of Zerna was only existed in, in the mental, in the mind of of Earth Zero Batman. I can't see Adam West having a version of Zerna in, in the Batman 66 universe, but I guess you got to go with it. Uh, but uh, it was a nice touch that Tim Drake shows up and rescues him as uh, it rescues him. And there's a really nice scene where, where Batman thanks Tim for saving for saving him. That was a really nice scene. That sort of that I think emotionally that 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 sort of was an emotional underpinning to this story in terms of how it ended with Tim finally finding uh, Batman. And so overall, I mean, there's a lot in this issue jam packed. I think that there's so many Easter eggs. I I'm going to err on the side that I enjoyed this and I'm going to give Zardaski and I'm really curious to see what DC and future writers are going to do with the implications of this story and what it means for all the Earths in the DC multiverse moving forward. Because, man, I, I think there's a lot of potential here, uh, you know, as long as it's in the hands of capable writers. You're on mute. Sorry, man. Yeah, capable writers. That's the thing. Like, it's Zadarsky has created a real challenge here in terms of making sense of this, right? Like, I, I don't know. I like my comics to make sense. It was part of the reason I was so disappointed in Three Jokers because I had looked forward to it for so long, and then it just ended up not being something that I felt had a lot of value. So, anyway. Uh, let's move on. I'm sure you uh, enjoyed this much more, um, and I did as well. Shazam number one, Meet the Captain, chapter one. Mark Wade and Dan Mora listed as storytellers. Obviously, Wade more on the words, Dan Mora more on the art. Alejandro Sanchez does the colors, Troy Petrie on letters. Uh, this was tremendous. What did you think? I, I'm just going to bring it up here. I actually was uh, I was a little bit underwhelmed here. I love the covers. Uh, the, all, all the variant covers here are really gorgeous. Uh, so props to all the various covers. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm sorry. I, I don't have the, I can't name all the artists, but the, there's a lot of real cool art, uh, art. My, my favorite variant cover is by Sam, by, um, Samney, Chris Samney. Oh, and, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's my personal favorite. Cause it just harkens back with that old, older style of Billy Batson. And uh, as for the story itself, the, the story is called Meet the Captain. And so right away, we're privy to the fact that, you know, all the big co talk and controversy about the name, you know, you can't call him Shazam. You, ca you can't call him Captain Marvel because Marvel has the rights to that. And Shazam, is, he, he can never, you know, the character of Shazam can never say what his name is because if he says Shazam, he's going to change back into Billy Batson. So it's kind of silly. So it's it's probably one of the most insane insane corners that DC has written themselves in over decades that they've never really resolved. While Mark Waid is trying to resolve it here, Shazam is now 
going to be referred to ongoing as the captain. So that's going to, they're just going to, fellow heroes are just going to refer to him as the captain. And there's sort of an in-story explanation for that. I, this is clearly, uh, this is clearly a story that, uh, I mean, I, I thought I was a little bit underwhelmed. I didn't mind the, uh, the, the art by John Timms, Chris Amian, Matias Lopez, Yvonne Doc Shaner, Ariel Colon. Okay. They're, they're all the variant covers, cover oh, artists. artists. Dan Mora. Dan Mora. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was, Mark Wade's having a lot of fun here. I, I, for some reason though, I was, I can't help but feel a little bit disappointed. I, I was hoping for a little bit more maturity in Billy Batson as a, as a, as a, but as it turns out, he's, um, he's just a kid. I was also hoping for a little bit more sophistication in Mark Wade's concept of what having the wisdom of Solomon means. Uh, and he, he described it in a way that, doesn't really resonate well with me, but I, I can see where he was coming from. Billy Batson kind of Billy Batson doesn't like having the wisdom of Solomon when he's Shazam because when he's Shazam, wisdom is not intelligence. Wisdom is like don't forget to brush your teeth. You know, make sure you get enough sleep. Uh, make sure you're kind. Make sure you're this. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is like glorified life advice. And Billy Batson feels a little bit overwhelmed because it's like when he's Shazam, he describes having the powers of all those gods as the gods whispering in his ear all the time to do this or do that. That's what wisdom is. Give, you know, imagine having a life coach whisper some wisdom in your ear all the, all the time. That's what Billy Batson's like when, when, he, when he's Shazam. That's what he experiences. So that's why Billy Batson likes being Billy Batson sometimes. He just wants to be himself and he, and he can he can make mistakes and he can just be a kid and he doesn't he doesn't have to be an adult he doesn't have to be in his Shazam form and and always experiencing wisdom of gods and what have you and so that's all well and good uh, and and we we meet and and there's a one of the things that suffers from and it's not Mark Wade's fault is an absolutely horrible uh, Lazarus Planet Revenge of the Gods storyline with the butchering with with how all that was messed up and Shazam's been a gong show of a character for the last five years. That's not Mark Wade's fault, but you can kind of start over here. Mary Marvel, we know from the, the end of Lazarus planet, revenge of the gods. She's got her own gods now which Amazon God. So she's got her own powers. Billy's got his own powers. And even though Mary Marvel could apparently share the powers of Shazam with wonder woman, apparently now it's never explained. Billy Batson can't share his powers with his, uh, with his brother, uh, Freddie or his, his orphan friend, uh, 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 Freddie, Fr Freddie Freeman. And, um, uh, it, so he, he, he would like to, at some point be able to do that because poor Freddie, of course, he's, he has a disability or whatever, and he's got a, he walks with a cane. And so there's that. Uh, meanwhile, Billy is, is really described as just a, a kid who's got his own YouTube channel and he sort of reports on the activities of Shazam. And so he's got light. He, so in a, in a move that maybe a lot of us YouTubers can relate to. You know, who can't relate to a kid with a YouTube channel, you know, talking about superheroes, right? <laughs> the only difference is when I say Shazam, I, I'm reviewing a comic. I'm not, I don't, I don't gain any wisdom of Solomon. I tell you that much. But um, overall, you know, this was okay. I'm not really, there's a hint as to what the storyline is. It looks as if the gods, at some point, it looks like Zeus shows up 
at one point, it looks like Zeus is talking to another god and they think that Billy's getting a little arrogant with the powers and, and is squandering the powers that they've given him because he, he's in the Rock of Eternity and he's playing video games and playing with his action figures in the Rock of Eternity and he's doing the stuff that you would expect little boys to do. I'm not exactly sure how old Billy is supposed to be. Uh, I'm guessing 13, 14, 15, I don't know. But uh, hey, I'm old and I've played. Uh, I've I, in, as a matter of fact, I just bought. I bought my Indiana Jones action figure this weekend. I dressed up like Indiana Jones. So hey, I'm. I'm. If I was in the Rock of Eternity, I'd be playing with Billy Bats and myself. But uh, we'd 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 probably play some Dungeons and Dragons and uh, action figures and what have you. But um, as for where the storyline is going, I'm not sure. It looks like the gods are going to adversely influence Billy Batson by by messing with the powers of Shazam, and they're, they've already they already caused Shazam to yell at people that he rescues, and they're affecting him psychologically as well by the end of the issue. And what exactly are the machinations of the gods? Why are they so upset with Billy? The the, the seven gods that give him his power. Uh, we're going to have to wait for future issues to find out. Um, one thing I know for certain, I have a Mark Wade has earned my trust. As a writer, uh, Dan Mora, certainly he's, he's, the art's fantastic. Mark Wade's earned my trust as a writer. I'm more than prepared to cut him a lot of slack on this and I'm going to. And it's a good opening issue for people that just want to get to know Shazam again and Billy Batson. So what do you think? Yeah. So first of all, I, I'll give a shout out to the art by Dan Mora. Uh, he, he has a really interesting art style, I'll say, and you know, very dynamic and very sort of clean and classic and what have you. And that, that is still very evident here. Um, but, but almost more so it's almost like he's channeling a little bit of, um, golden age sensibility. So I thought that worked on a lot of levels for this, uh, for this particular issue. And then it just, like, I understand what you're saying in terms of this could have been more. Um, and I, I think in a way we sort of expect more from, Mark Wade, you know, maybe he's a in, in a way a victim of his own success in in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But you know, he this is good. This is good. This is Mark getting a chance to s- sort of celebrate what makes comics fun, what makes comics great. And so, you know, I I appreciated that. I thought it was solid. Um, not breaking any territory here, but but establishing a new status quo. You know, the whole idea of, of calling him captain, you know, you alluded to the fact that, you know, his, his name and, you know, all the nonsense that goes along with that is, is so ridiculous. So, yeah, I, I thought in a lot of ways that this was uh, this was just a celebration of, of who Shazam is. And it, I thought it worked on a lot of a uh, lot of levels. So too soon to say where it's going to go, how it'll be, but. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just thought I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty damn good. So, um, and yeah, we'll see, we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> Up next, the Joker, the man who stopped laughing. There is a backup story in here from, uh, Francisco Francavilla about the Joker creating this device. And it's interesting when, when one of his, uh, sidekicks says, well, how'd you come how did you create it? Oh, I just came up with it one day. Uh, <laughs> like, wait, what? The so story's by Rosenberg. The art is by Francesco Francavilla. Letters by Tom Napolitano. And uh, it, it basically, the, yeah, the Joker creates this device where when he when he presses a button on this device, basically 
the device knows like what's really in your heart, I guess, if you want to put it that way. And if you're a good person, it will blow up your head. And if you're a bad person, you're fine. And what the Joker finds is once he kills all the good people, there's no bad people. So then he's not special anymore. So, you know, a little more interesting than some of the nonsensical ones uh, of these backups that we've had in the past. So I'll give him, I'll give uh, Rosenberg props for that. The main story, the Joker, uh, the man who stopped laughing, Rosenberg's a writer, Carmen A. Dijon Domenico, the artist from Fardo Jr. on Colors, Tom, Tom Napolitano on Letters. Some great action scenes with Kate Spencer, Manhunter, fighting against the Joker. I appreciated that. Um, but I, I couldn't help but think about the Batman story that I had just you know, read a few issues previous and what a mess the Joker is. And here we are again with two Jokers in the story, not knowing which one's the real Joker. Uh, and it just, yeah, it wasn't like, I don't know if there's anybody over there at DC editorial that reads all the books and does the schedule. But if, if that is the case, they should have been like, okay, don't, don't put these two books out in the same week <laughs> because you're just calling attention to how convoluted we've made the Joker. Uh, and I think it doesn't work. I think the Joker is better when he's just sort of a force of evil, you know, a force of chaos instead of this overpowered convoluted mess that he's become. And I already ranted about it. So I'm, I'm not going to say anything more um, other than to say the art by Dijon Domenico is fantastic. There's a lot of action in this between the fight between uh, Joker and Kate Spencer and even killer moth gets involved. And then we've got the Joker that's back in Gotham with, uh, shenanigans that's going on with Killer Croc and Solomon Grundy in the sewers. And Matthew Rosenberg, you know, even though I might not care for the subject matter of this, he's still a very talented writer. I love the jokes and the innuendo and little one-liners that he gives the Joker here. So, you know, I might not be all in on on comp this complicated Joker story, but yeah, uh, I still love the the narrative voice the vocabulary, uh, the the words, the literal words that Matthew Rosenberg is putting in the Joker's mouth, even if the overall plot, um, I just don't care for. So, anyway, what are your thoughts? Uh, I don't. Uh, I'm. I'm. I find myself exhausted with this narrative, and I've been up and down on this. And you know, last issue, I could. I know. I agree with you in the sense that th- this feels like an abs. Everything's. We're just go, go, go. This is just an adrenaline rush of these two Jokers having two separate adventures. And one of them is the real one. And we're eight issues in and we don't know who the real one is. Red Hood is thinks he knows who the real one is. Manhunter thinks he knows who the real one is or isn't even aware of the other one. And the, the two Jokers, I, I'm not sure who the real one is. There was even a, a quasi crossover with the punchline, the Gotham game. We're not even sure if that was the real Joker. Maybe that was a different one or the fake one. I don't know. Uh, but I would feel more invested in this story if I actually like, – first of all, I have no idea how many issues this is going to – is this going to go for 25 issues, 30, 40? It feels like it's never going to end. It's an eight. Is it going to be 12 issues? Like, I, I don't know and I, I find myself asking questions and I, I don't mean that in a, in a complimentary way or I, I don't look forward to this. Like I, 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 this was the last – like when we get these bundles to review these comics – this was the last one I read. I was the least interested in this, and I remain so. Uh, even when there's, but but you're right that, you know, Matthew Rosenberg's humor is hit and miss. You and I happen to enjoy his humor, 
there are I know I certainly know I, some of my fellow uh, reviewers out our fellow reviewers out there dis- respectfully disagree with us. He's hit and miss with his humor, uh, but but I enjoy it. But unfortunately, I like when this when the humor and and the plot is in service of something of some semblance of a larger plot that I can see. What like I'm looking forward to what are these two jokers going to do when they meet each other? That's what I'm looking forward to. And this, it doesn't seem that this is ever going to happen. And, and, and even when they meet each other, I'm thinking, well, what's the point now? So at the end, so they finally meet up with each other. They're just going to have a bunch, a long drawn out issue, long fight scene, just like we get between Manhunter and one of the Jokers here. And then uh, just like we get between Manhunter and Killer Croc here or Solomon Grundy or Jason Todd. I mean, it's just like, it's like Matthew Rosenberg says, oh, I got to drag this out for three more issues. Okay, well, let me, who else? I, I can introduce Batgirl ended up showing up here as Oracle. Maybe we can, who else can we throw in here? Tim Drake. It's like, oh, it's a hodgepodge of the Batman family. And it's just like throwing crap at a wall just to drag this narrative out and uh, don't get me wrong he's a ma- he's a master at taking and, and throwing a bunch of characters together and creating some interesting scenes some and uh, the artist I'm just going to call him Carmine because I butcher his last name D DeMonico or whatever it is call him the demon uh, the the art's fantastic I, I don't have any problem with the art uh, visually the way he can the way he can convey the action it, it, it works I, I I don't have any complaints about that and that's Frankly, part of the thing that keeps me here, this feels like one long adrenaline rush of of action uh, sort of drowned out in dialogue. And at some point, these two jokers are going to meet each other. But I got to tell you, eight issues in, straight up, I stopped, by, I stopped buying the physical copies of this at issue two. And uh, I haven't bought them yet. And I'm and uh, because they're just I, I don't feel I, I just don't feel like uh, this is too expensive. This is I don't need to have. Uh, a Fast and Furious movie every single issue where it's not really going anywhere. I mean, that's kind of what it feels like. And and I actually, it's the last Fast and Furious movie. I, I almost walked out of the theater. It was, you know, when they, it's sort of like with the Fast and Furious movie, they get to space, you know, and they're, when they're, when, when they're racing each other in, in the outer atmosphere. Batman jumping from the moon. Cars, yeah. how do cars drive in space with no gravity? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. But I mean, it's just, anyways, I, uh, uh, again, so I find myself in the crazy position of admiring M- Matthew Rosenberg for the fact that he can actually drag out a story like this and actually still keep me entertained in a crazy way. But if this makes any sense, I'm entertained, yet I'm not invested in the story anymore because I uh, – yeah, it, so it's weird. So I, I don't want to t- – go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say it's all spectacle. Yeah. Exactly. It's just, it's spectacle. And I don't mind, I don't mind that. I just feel, I really don't feel that this is in service of anything at this point. Cause if, I wish he'd play his hand a little bit. Like, could you not hint, like, if I knew, for example, that one of these jokers was the real one, I think I would care more for the story, to be honest with you. Because I would yeah. care more about the character winning or losing, or I would care more. But because I don't, or I don't think I do, or every time I think I know there's misdirection again or something, I, I just get frustrated. I get pissed off. I don't get, it doesn't contribute to my enjoyment. It just further annoys me and pulls me out of the, the narrative. And then I'm supposed to forget about the fact that I'm pissed off because of all the spectacle. And it's just, it's an annoying, it's a frustrating read, uh, middled with humor, if that makes any sense. So yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And here, so here's the thing. I'm gonna play devil's advocate, right? Like I, I yeah. ranted about the Joker several times. We all know how I feel about the Joker. There is a future. There's a future on this timeline, not an alternate timeline. There's a future 
on this timeline where the Joker becomes my favorite villain of all time. Uh, and I just fall in love with the Joker, right? Because it's become so convoluted and so overly complicated. I talked about it ad nauseum earlier, right? Yeah. You, you make an excellent point. I was going to, you know, make it myself as sort of a rebuttal. If I knew, if I knew, and I'm not placing the blame on Rosenberg, right? This could completely be editorial driven. It could be, you know, a product of the dysfunction or, you know, maybe dysfunction is the wrong word, but the, 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 a product of the changing editorial regimes at DC because of the, you know, different ownerships and the people that were involved or whatever. Obviously, when Jeff Johns did Three Jokers, Dan Didio was in charge. There's been several people in charge since then. So who knows? Rosenberg may very well want to lay it out like, okay, here's the history of the Joker, point A, point B, point C, point D, and explain it all, you know, very logically spoon feed us and whatever so we we understand. He may not be allowed to do that, right? Oh, we want to keep it mysterious. We want to, you know, take the the Wolverine route, if you will, and the Joker's much more complicated and it can't be limited to only one person or one personality or blah, 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 whatever it might be, right? (laughs) But there is a, a, a future where... The Joker is my favorite character because somebody takes all of this stuff, everything that's been – all this Joker stuff that's been thrown at the wall uh, like a you know plate of spaghetti over the last four years ever since uh, Three Jokers came out and makes it make sense. And in that way, makes the Joker a more interesting character because like I said, I think the Joker works best as this agent of chaos who never can – actually physically go head to head with Batman because he would be defeated in three seconds. He's more of a puppet master should always be in my mind, but you've got to use him sparingly because that gets boring. And that's, I think led to the power creep and all this other stuff that's happened. So if you can somehow make the Joker a more interesting character, make him more than just that agent of chaos, but not have him be unrealistic. And I know we're talking about comics and realism doesn't always go hand in hand with that, but I mean, here's this skinny, know-nothing guy who's got no training, and yet he routinely goes in hand-to-hand combat with Batman. It makes no sense. That's part of the biggest problem I have with the Joker. So if somebody can explain to me and make it make sense, there is a reality in which, hey, all of a sudden, I'm a fan of the Joker. It is possible. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to know. I just want to know because right now – I don't think anybody knows. I think it's well, just, I, ah, tell whatever you want. It doesn't matter. And uh, just, to, just to build on your point, and I, I think it's kind of interesting. I didn't think our discussion on this comic would be that uh, – would, would be this informative to me. But you're, I just realized that if, if the Joker is so special, isn't he less special now because there's two of them? Now, I realize that we had the three Joker storyline in and of itself, which I, I frankly – I have very mixed feelings about, but – it shouldn't be this difficult to figure out which one's the real Joker because they can't both be as crazy, both have the same amount of luck, the same. I mean, suddenly they're Darwin both. Holiday's, Darwin Holiday's jumping around creating Jokers left and right. So yeah. There can be any number of Jokers. Well, no, that's true. And, and, but, you know, maybe the, maybe they're all linked here, but it does, it, it's just unfortunate. It, this whole, yeah, there's just, Ah man, too much Batman, too much Jokers. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I, I remain frustrated with this storyline, and I just, uh, I just get, I just wish writers would, would DC would have the writers come up with more ideas because maybe editorial is forcing these writers to just write Joker stories. But I really wish they would strive to come up with something a little bit more original. Who knows? I mean, and and probably my least favorite character, which is saying a lot because DC's got a you know pantheon of a, over well over a thousand characters. 
too much Batman, too much Joker. Let's mash them together. Let's make a Joker who la- or a Batman who laughs and, and have give him a terrible design. Worst character ever, closely followed by Punchline. Uh, anyway, moving on, <clears throat> Flash number 798, written by the aforementioned Jeremy Adams, friend of the show, art by Fernando Passerin, Eau Claire, Albert, and Will Robson. So Fernando Passerin pencils, Albert is his inker, and then Will Robson does some pages as well. Matt Herms on colors, letters by Rob Lee. Um, I got to say, I really wish we had uh, one art team on this because it was a little jarring. Their styles aren't really very similar. Uh, but we open up with the first page, the birth of little baby West um, that we have seen, you know, in time travel. We've seen him as a, a little boy in the one minute war. Uh, but here he is, Wade West. I love the fact that Jeremy Adams named him Wade and it's spelled in the traditional way that you would spell the first name Wade for a boy, W-A-D-E. But it's a tribute to Mark Wade. You know, somebody that Jeremy Adams knows, you know, grew up reading his comics. He had a, a very seminal run on The Flash, the Wally West version of The Flash. So that, that's where the name comes from in case um, you're wondering. So because it's comics and because it's a little baby and very vulnerable, no sooner does the uh, West family leave Linda and the baby to get some rest than a woman comes in and says, oh, I'm going to take the baby for some tests. Uh uh, Granny's got you, and it turns out it's Granny Goodness. Granny Goodness has kidnapped Wade West, which um, not only, you know, as I say that out loud, not only is it a fantastic tribute to Mark Wade, uh, who is, you know, just a very talented writer, but it's got that alliteration, right? Like old school, uh, you know, Clark Kent <laughs> or Peter Parker or, uh, you know, Bruce Banner. So uh, Reed Richards, fantastic, right? Wade West, love it. Uh, but yeah. Uh, We'll set aside the fact that in hospitals nowadays, you, you can't just come in as a nurse and just take a baby. There's always uh, <laughs> you know, checks and all, all sorts of stuff. But I, And I know Jeremy knows that. But for the sake of the story, this is what goes down. And obviously, Wally, uh, as soon as he finds this out, is not going to let that stand. He recruits um, some help. Once he finds out from this, uh, this version of Our Man that we've seen uh, recently in, in the Jeff Johns, what is it? The Stargirl series. So that yeah. version of Iron Man shows up, explains that it's Granny Goodness. Wally gets a team together that includes Ace or Wallace West. Uh, it includes Gold Beetle, who is a character that Jeremy created, who's just really <laughs> fun and eventually is going to have a relationship with, uh, with Jay West in the future. Plastic Man is a member of the team. Mr. Terrific as well. They're all going on this rescue mission. So a little bit of the the Terrifics, right? Like with Mr. Terrific and, and Plastic Man there. I don't know if Jeremy was a fan of that series or not, but uh, that was a fun series that didn't didn't last long enough, written by Jeff Lemire. Um, and then the uh, – I can't remember what his name is, but the wrestler, the purple-skinned wrestler that showed up a few issues ago. <laughs> was that one of Jeremy's most popular issues? I'm not a big wrestling guy, but I've talked to Jeremy about it um, and how, how – much great feedback he got for that wrestling issue. Um, so anyway, they're all on their way to rescue uh, Wade West from Granny Goodness. And I-, I can't wait to see where it goes from here. You know, in typical Jeremy Adams fashion for a flash book, this is wholesome. This is fun. This is classic comics. You can certainly share it with your kids. Um, the Will Robson art is good. The Fernando Passerin art is good. They're, in fact, they're both great. Um, they just, the styles don't mesh well together. That's why I was kind of wishing, you know, we'd gotten all of one artist or the other. Um, but 
again, Flash has been a little uh, little rushed, I guess, because they went to the bi-weekly schedule coming out every two weeks. So I'm sure that's why uh, they're, they're having multiple artists on it. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, we get confirmation that the reason that Linda West had powers was because she was carrying Wade West in her because, you know, now that the baby's born, she doesn't have any super speed anymore. So we already know this baby's you know, not even weeks old yet, just merely days, maybe only hours old. We already know that Wade West has powers. So uh, this is fantastic. I love that DC, you know, as much as we're complaining about editorial and the Joker a little while ago, I love that Jeremy was able to get editorial to agree to this. He has created a new West child, and I can't wait for either Jeremy or other uh, writers in the future to tell some stories about Wade West, you know? And please, for the love of God, DC, don't age him up too quickly. I I want some stories of a three-year-old. I mean, you have a child, Rocky. Uh, You know, I've raised two. Man, a three-year-old moves fast enough with normal speed. (laughs) Right. And even before, right. There's that moment you can't wait for them to crawl and start getting mobile or whatever, but you miss the fact that you could put your baby down on a blanket or, or wherever, you know, on the floor and turn around and do something for two seconds and turn back around and they would be in the same place that you left them. As soon as they get mobile, man, you turn around for three, four seconds and you turn back and they're like, where'd you go? It's amazing how fast they are. You start talking about a baby with super speed. Oh my God. The hijinks. Uh, the crazy stories that can be told. So please, DC, take your time. Give us plenty of, uh, you know, Wally West stories. I, I, I wasn't reading The Flash when uh, Irie and Jay were first introduced. I don't know how much of their childhood. I mean, they're not that that old, right? Like maybe around ten, maybe eight, somewhere in that age range. So it's not they're not you know hugely aged up either. So there's still plenty of family stories to tell there. But God, like Wally West is. This is a great role for him, right? Like who would have thought, when I think about that flash issue and I know the one that uh, I know, you know, the one I'm talking about after uh, crisis on infinite earths, the yellow cover with the jets in the background, that Wally West, the very self-absorbed, uh, you know, he is the fastest man in the DC universe. He's faster than Barry back then he was slow. Like he could only run like maybe 700 miles an hour. And then he had to eat a bunch of carbon. It was all, it was all himself. It was all his doubt. It was all his, uh, um, sort of self-obsession and, and that sort of thing. Very self-indulgent. Like to go from that to this, like the, the journey that these incredible writers, you know, whether we're talking Mark Wade or Jeff Johns or Robert Venditti or any of the other guys that have put their stamp, Joshua Williamson, have put their stamp on um, on Wally West. Um, yeah, they've done a, a, a fantastic job. Like if you just read that issue, that, no, you know, Flash number one from 1987, yellow cover, and then read this, be like, whoa, right? this guy went on an incredible journey. I better go back and read the in-between to find out how he went from point A to where he is now. Uh, I, I just think that's fantastic. I, I just love it that he now has another kid uh, leading into that family feel. And yeah, I'm, I'm so sad that Jeremy's not going to be on this title after 800. I'm extremely curious to see what Cy Spurrier is going to do. Don't get me wrong. Cosmic Spur with... Flash. Okay. What does that mean? I'm trepidatious. I'm curious. I would have been happy had Jeremy continued. So yeah. uh, anyway, what do you got? Well, uh, first of all, I, I know I can speak for Jeremy Adams. Uh, he, uh, he, he told me to say hi to you, Jace. And uh, he, he thanks the fans. 
Jeremy is so passionate. I know you spoke with him. You spent some time with him at the con recently. Uh, uh, WonderCon, right? I think you spent some time with him. Yeah, yeah, we hung out at WonderCon. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he's just a great guy, and he's so passionate. And I got to tell you something. He speaks with such passion about comic books in general, and it's not just Wally West that he would love to write. I mean, he's he's so passionate. It's such a, and he's he's just so he's talkative. He's passionate. He's fun. And you know the the the, the type of nerd or geek you imagine uh, as that you can maybe assume he is when you read a story like this. That's how he is in real life. He's awesome. He's he's so much fun. He's he's just great. And one of my favorite scenes here is when uh, Wally West pretends he's like Captain Picard and he's sitting on the. Big, the big ship is about to take off and uh, you know he says make it so and it looks like a scene out of Star Trek and you know uh, Wallace calls him a nerd and that and then all of a sudden very soon the, the, the crazy intergalactic wrestler shows up that we saw in previous issues and we also get the gold beater this is the first time that the gold beetle technically meets Wally West and that is to say in gold beetles memory this is her first meeting with Wally West in her timeline and of course Wally knows that she's going to end up with his son Jay in the future and there's a, in, and Jay and Lynn you know and Wally and Linda have a moment where they sort of let that sink in for a second because Gold Beetle is a little bit of a quirky character when, you, when she first appears and uh, then you get the Hour Man showing up which was a nice little Easter egg and by the way in case one hasn't figured it out yeah Jeremy Adams unlike some writers he had as he actually reads other comic books from other writers and he likes to have fun and he, and, and, and when he's, when an editors allow him, he likes to play in the sandbox a little bit and he's very, very good at it. And we readers have rewarded Jeremy Adams by surprise, surprise, we're buying the flash comic. Now, as frustrated as we are that the flash is ending, uh, it's good to see that Jeremy Adams is cramming as much fun as he can in his final issues of the flash. And of course, we're looking forward to reviewing his first issue of green lantern, which we, uh, look forward to with great haste. Uh, that'll be coming out in, in a week or two. And, but this issue is fantastic. And one thing I want to point out, and this is a compliment to, uh, Again, a compliment to the writer is the Flash feels organic. You know, the Wally West has a family, but it doesn't feel forced. You know, uh, it, it's we don't have to worry about next issue suddenly. You know, suddenly Jay is going to be twenty five years old, and uh, you know, and uh, or you know, have some crazy John Kent moment where he's aged up. This is organic, and Wally West family. We've literally this has been an organic development of of, of Wally West family from going back twenty five, thirty years. Jay uh, meeting Linda, Jay, then Irie, now Wade, and it's and a wonderful tribute to Mark Wade, and it's just. This, this feels like we're, we're just really getting to know this family. And it's no coincidence that, you know, I'm thinking that the editors here are looking at the success of the concept of family. All of a sudden, we're getting it in Green Arrow. All of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, we have Joshua Williamson, you know, trying to build a Green Arrow family over in Green Arrow. And, you know, that seems to be sort of a theme. The Superman family's really expanded. We got the Batman family's always been large. That clearly seems to be... Uh, uh, a direction that DC is going uh, with mixed results, maybe from depending on what the character is, but you know, kudos to Jeremy Adams to his focus on family, humor, uh, good nature, uh, fun emphasis on fun while at the same time dealing with real world, powerful events just works. Well, I want to give a shout out to, uh, 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 Pensica, uh, the, the artist, my yeah. favorite uh, picture, or Passerin, right? Uh, the artist? I, I think it's Passerin. The, yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Fernando. 
the uh, when the hospital room blows up uh, with Linda and Linda is, is injured, that's a, just a gorgeous scene. I mean, the, the colors here are just amazing. Uh, the, I, I really enjoyed. I didn't. I didn't mind. It's a little bit frustrating. The art here, I think, is better than a lot of the art in in Flash One Minute War. You know, the Passwords art is was I think very much missed in that in the in the One Minute War. But Roger Cruz did a good job with what with what he could. And so, but overall, it just goes to show you that even though I personally have had some issues with the art over the last you know six seven months, the fact of the matter is is that I'm still really enjoying these stories because of the strength of the stories. And uh, so, yeah, kudos uh, kudos uh, to. Uh, to Adams and uh, the whole creative team on this because this this was another enjoyable flash issue and boy oh boy you you said it man we're gonna miss him when he's gone yeah yeah DC what are you doing why did you take him off the book uh, yeah. all right enough of that. let's move on to the last book we're gonna talk about in detail Poison Ivy number twelve it's from writer G Willow Wilson art is by Marcio Takara colors by Arif Prianto letters by Hassan Altman Elhow. Uh, let's get to the important part that you're all uh, probably wondering. Yes, Poison Ivy and Harley finally reunite. They are together. Uh, and what that bodes for the future, I guess we'll see. Uh, in terms of the art, uh, solid Takara art as there has been. Through. Um, I'll give a lot of credit to G. Willow Wilson for the journey that she has taken. Uh, Poison Ivy on here because it really has been quite the journey from those first issues where Rocky and I were like, man, she is just killing people with impunity. Uh, G. Willow Wilson is getting her back to her villainous roots. I mean, we, we, it was all explained in terms of her being infected by these Lamia spores. Um, and it's great to see her, the softening of her in a way, uh, her taking responsibility for her actions. I just was saying, you know, a little while ago about, the problem that we have with them turning Ivy into a hero or um, or Harley into a her hero and it, where it doesn't feel earned, right? It just feels like, well, Harley Quinn's really popular and a lot of people cosplay at her and she sells a lot of merchandise. So uh, let's just make her a hero, right? For, for lack of a better term. At least with what G. Willow Wilson is doing with Ivy here, it makes sense. You understand where she's coming from. And I still wouldn't say she's a hero, but what I would say is this version of Poison Ivy, for, first of all, I've never really cared that much about Poison Ivy in terms of she's been sort of a, a romantic interest for Harley Quinn. That's been like her most established identity in my mind um, because her characterization and her personality have been a little inconsistent over the years. It's even been commented on. Uh, I remember when – Got uh, what was the book that Robert Venditti did that was in that um, that line that Dan Didio started that w where everything was done Marvel style? Um, it was like Rampage or something like that. Anyway, yeah. I remember at the same time that Poison Ivy was in the Batman book with white skin or Caucasian looking skin, she was in that Robert Venditti book, um, and she had the green skin and she acted totally different, and and so. At least with what G. Willow Wilson is doing here, we're getting a consistency. We're getting a complicated person. We're getting a person that feels real uh, in terms of none of us are 100% good or 100% bad. This is a conflicted person. This is a person that has made mistakes, that has regrets. She's not the you know mustache twirling villain that Poison Ivy has been in the past. Um, 
but that doesn't mean she's, you know, this goody goody love interest for Harley either. You know, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, she realizes that she's made mistakes. And, uh, you know, in this particular issue, she's actually finds a cure or what she thinks is a cure for these Lamia spores. And one of the women that's been infected that was at this retreat, she doesn't want to take it. And, you know, it's a little meta in terms of like the COVID vaccine and some anti-vaxxers and that sort of thing. But the other part of it that really brings it home, and again, a great, like just small point that adds realism to the story from, from Wilson. Ivy's like, I don't want to force her to take it because that's, that's what her, her, you know, roommate traveling companion or whatever says, right? Like you can't let her out there. She's going to infect other people. You got to strap her down to a chair and force her to take this. And Ivy's like, no, I, I can't do that. That's what Jason Woodrow did to me. I won't do that to another person. <laughs> Even if it means the, you know, destruction of society and the spread of this disease. Eh, I don't know if I a hundred percent agree with Ivy, but at least I understand why she's making the choice, right? That's good writing. That's good characterization. So I'm really impressed with what uh, G. Willow Wilson has done. Is this my favorite DC title? No, by no means. But it, it's in terms of quality, in terms of a technical comic, far and away the best written, best characterization for Ivy that I've ever read. So, uh, And that book was Damage. Uh, that's the book I was trying to remember from the, the New Age of Heroes from, uh, from DC. So anyway, what do you think of the latest issue of uh, Poison Ivy? I think of that woman who refuses to have Ivy help her with that injection. I think if that woman had a penis, I don't think Ivy would have that same attitude. I think that Ivy is a hypocrite. I think she's, uh, I think that she's just, uh, I think that's just the way Ivy is. Uh, she, she has one view for men and one view for women. And that actually, I think, sort of adds to the intrigue of her character because that's the way Ivy is. And it, it, as much as Ivy is becoming someone who maybe thinks more about individuals, which is good, uh, those individuals better be women because they're not men because she certainly has no problem killing men from the beginning and throughout this series. And she killed she, men and women in this series. What's that? She's killed men and women in this series. And if you're referring to her destruction of Jason Woodrow, he wasn't a man or a woman. Yeah, well, no, fair enough. I just, I just, I, I still, I, I'm not, I personally, uh, she's becoming so good. Like there's this attempt, It, you know, she's really starting to feel, uh, like her refusal to want to, you know, forcibly, you know, impose herself on this woman because that's what happened to her. Um, okay, I, I guess I get it. it. It is rather interesting. I mean, we could say that arguably Batman does the same thing. Batman will go to ridiculous lengths to save one person, even if it necessarily... Uh, he, Batman finds a way. Batman finds a way to save that one person, even if others' lives are potentially in danger. And so Pamela Isley right now, she's she's like she's as determined as Batman would be. She's saying, "I'm going to find a way to help her, and I'm going to find a way to win, and I'm not I'm going to do it in such a way that I'm not forcing myself on her." And I agree with you that that's that's good characterization. It's getting us into Ivy's head. At the same time, at the same time. I can't help but to feel this is a huge about shift in 12 issues for the Poison Ivy that we remember prior to this series, we had a dichotomy of Pamela Isley. We had Ivy and the Poison Ivy. We had Queen Ivy and I, Poison Ivy. And we had that dichotomy. 
because of what was coming out of what came out of Joker War. I thought that was really, really interesting that that because you've got different types of plant life. It made sense to me that Poison Ivy, more so than any other character, would have a split personality or different sides to her. You know, one that's one with nature and one that is more uh, more akin to maybe understanding humanity. I feel I feel that most of that is gone now, and it's clear. Uh, and I'm in the minority on this because, to Jay Willow Wilson's credit, the vast majority of people reading this, the sales on this title have been very good. And so, kudos and congrats to Jay Willow Wilson uh, because th- her characterization resonates with fans, and even the way she does the relationship with with Harley Quinn. Even though this Harley Quinn, I feel, is at odds and written very differently than that. This is a more mature Harley Quinn and less zany one or crazy one that even is in by Teeny Howard. Again, Harley Quinn just seems to be written so inconsistently all over the place. What I like about this is that if you're going to go this direction with Poison Ivy, fine. Because I feel that this is going to lead to better writing of of Harley Quinn. Because I got to tell you, I don't see this Poison Ivy being in love with with the Harley with the zany crazy insane Harley Quinn we're getting over in the other comic and I'm I'm and I'm mindful of the cartoon which I I think is well the c- cartoon is crazy and zany the cartoon doesn't make any sense the cartoon in particular it makes no sense why President wow. you would be attracted to Harley but that's another issue for another day um I would like to debate somebody on that because I got a lot of opinions on that particular subject of the Harley Quinn cartoon but in any event uh, I guess what I'm getting at here is this is this is consistently written. There's no question that you have an evolution of Pamela Isley's character. Just because I disagree with it doesn't mean that it's it's happening. It's obvious. She started off being a psychotic murderer. Uh, she she killed less and less, and she did. She's growing into her own through her relationship with predominantly women. She is lesbian. She embraces her sexuality. She's sexually free. This issue ends with her expressing, you know, she she's unsure how Harley's going to feel when she finds out that she slept with her roommate. Uh, so there's going to be some issues here. There is some consistency here. And I, I got to give props. Uh, and um, it's one of those things where I'm kind of taking my foot out of my mouth. Uh, this has sort of grown on me. And, you know, uh you know, again, congrats to Jay Willow Wilson. This is a title that continues to get, uh, it seems to be continuing to grow in popularity. And I'm, I enjoy this much more than the Harley Quinn title. No question. Because at least I get a decent story and I can see what the character work is. Even if I disagree with it, I can respect where it's coming from. So, Yeah, 100%. Uh, all right. Also, single issues this week, Batman, the audio adventures, number six, uh, that we didn't talk about in detail. And then in terms of collections, we've got Superman space age hardcover. That's the Mike Allred, uh, drawn Mark Russell written, uh, Superman, which I talked to Mark Russell. I don't know if I mentioned this on the show. I talked to Mark Russell at WonderCon, and I mentioned that that Superman in that space age story seemed like the same Superman from his future state story. And he basically confirmed that. Uh, and he'll come on and talk about it at some point. Uh, we also have Catwoman Volume 2, Cat International. That's Volume 2 from the Tinny Howard run. Justice League Volume 3, uh, Leagues of Chaos. That's from the Brian Michael Bendis run. And then Shazam, the Monster Society of Evil. Hardcover, uh, 2023 variant, which uh, unfortunately doesn't tell me uh, what actual issues. But it is written by Jeff Smith. So I think that was an all-ages DC title from uh, from back in the day. Unfortunately, I'm not 
100% sure, to be honest with you, um, of where that uh, book came from. So, uh, well, that's going to do it for this uh, episode in terms of books we're going to talk about. Rocky, do you have a book of the week? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, what is my pick of the week? My pick of the week, I am going to have to go with boom, 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 boom. Well, I'm going to have to go with, um, I'm going to go with Flash. I'm going to go with Flash. What about yourself? Excellent, Excellent pick. I can't, uh, I can't say that that is a bad pick at all. I'm actually going to go with Peacemaker tries hard. Uh, and the reason I'm picking that is just because it was so unexpected, came so far out of left field for me, was not at all what I expected it to be. It was a pleasant surprise, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Anything else you want to tease, what have you? I haven't I know, myself well- been too many other episodes. Um, been trying. I mean, I did talk with uh, Tom Akel, the co-founder of, CEO and publisher of Rocket Ship Entertainment last week. Um, but other than that, yeah, I just, I've been so busy with work. It's been insane. So anyway, how about yourself? Uh, well, I might do a video and uh, some fun I had at the uh, Calgary Expo. I got some pictures I might share with people during the week. But beyond that, uh, no, I'll just be reading more comics and I might do an indie review uh, with uh, Jason at the, uh, at the Weird Science uh, DC podcast or we do an indie podcast. So I'm going to touch base with him again this week and we'll see. But beyond that, no. And uh, yeah, and you don't have any interviews coming up? I do, but nothing written in stone that I can talk about other than the, yeah. the Tom Akel. Um, <laughs> I'm just behind, I was, like I said, so busy with the day job. Talk to so many people that want to come on. It's just a matter of trying to find the time. So yeah. Uh, anyway, we appreciate the support as always, everybody. Um, don't forget to head over to YouTube and subscribe to Rocky's channel. If you're listening to the audio only version, Comic Space Boom! Exclamation point on YouTube. You'll find it. You know what to do once you're there. Ring the notification bell. Leave some comments. Subscribe. All that stuff helps with our reach and uh, get, getting us access to more books and more publishers and that sort of thing. Conversely, if you stumble across us on YouTube and want to listen to the audio-only version while you're in the car, on the subway, or whatever, uh, thousands of episodes in the back catalog for the Comic Source. Just go to wherever you get your uh, podcast. Do a search for the comic source and you'll find us. So that's going to do it for this episode. We appreciate the support as always, and we will talk to you next time. Catch you later. You can find the comic source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.